This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. Hello and welcome. My name is Linda Jasinski, and I'm the director for the Center for Spirituality and Discernment and Campus Ministry. We're located in St. Rita's Hall. It's my pleasure to welcome Nancy Bieber, our speaker today, who has written a a wonderful book on decision-making, which we in our office use very often. It's called Decision-Making and Spiritual Discernment, The Sacred Art of Finding Your Way. And we'll be selling the books, and Nancy said she needed an autograph them for you after, after the talk. So they're, they're, you just come down here if you're interested. There's a lot of very practical, reflective questions and practices in the book, which I particularly find very helpful. Well, I always like to start by introducing Nancy as no relation to Justin Bieber. <laughs> everybody always asks her that. Writing down that she's no relation. So her last name uh, is Besides being an author, besides being an author, Nancy has been a psychologist, teacher, spiritual director, and retreat leader for many years. Her book has risen from these experiences of working with people. She taught with School of the Spirit and is presently on the staff of the Ecumenical Oasis Ministries for Spiritual Development. She teaches courses on prayer at Lancaster Theological Seminary. An active Quaker, Nancy lives near Lancaster, Pennsylvania with her husband Larry, where they enjoy gardening and grandparenting together. I'd like to welcome Nancy. I should say, Linda, that um, it's not quite accurate that I'm not related to Justin Bieber. I, I haven't yet discovered that I'm related to him, but I'm working on it. <laughs> so. This topic that I'm going to be talking about is how do you make wise decisions? That's, that's what the flyer said, right? And I have to tell you that I do not have the answer. I can give you some suggestions. I can name some, um, some models for making decisions. So there's some things that I can offer, but I don't have specific answers for your particular unique situation. I'm going to talk for a while and then at the end of my talk we're going to have a time for comments from you or questions that you might want to ask and we can, we can engage in a little discussion. Over Thanksgiving I was fortunate enough to spend some time with my extended family my husband's family. And he has a large family, and there were around 16 or 18 of my nieces and nephews by marriage at, there. Um, they're mostly in their 20s. Maybe one or two were in their 30s, but they provided a lot of the stories that I have to tell. Decision-making and spiritual discernment. 
You know, decision-making is a daily activity. As I was coming down here, I was trying to decide between two different routes to come between Lancaster and suburban Philadelphia area. That was a daily decision. Some decisions are really easy. Like when my husband and I moved to a new house and I was had no problem at all deciding that I was going to create new garden with lots of flowers. That's just as easy to me as breathing. I love plants and I love planting. On the other hand, my husband asked me one time if I wanted to go skydiving with him. And I didn't have any problem at all saying, no, thank you. (laughs) So he did it by himself, twice, and then he stopped. But we also have the big complex decisions in which sometimes they're so challenging because they are not a decision between this is the right way to go and this is the wrong way to go for me, but they're a decision between something that's good and something else that is good, or between something that's really not what you want to do and something else that is really not what you want to do. In other words, the distinctions are fairly small. They're not easy to make. Those are the really hard ones. And friends of mine were trying to decide what to do, and they decided to enter the Peace Corps. And they were offered two positions to go to, both in Africa, Both were in a very undeveloped area of Africa. Both would present their own challenges, and they had to choose one, although neither were right. My daughter, Diana, had to make a decision between two jobs. One, which was not what she wanted. She's a, a lawyer, and so she had to decide between two job opportunities. One, which required her to drive about 45 minutes one way, And it was what she really wanted to do. It was working with people who were immigrants. And the other one was working in a general law practice, and she could walk to work. It was just 10 minutes down the road from where she was living in the city. Those are complex and challenging decisions. I think that what I want to offer tonight is a model for decision-making, especially for the big and challenging ones. I want you to imagine the process of braiding. Now, some of you probably know how to braid, braid hair, braid cloth. Some of you may not know how. So let me tell you. You take three strands, one, two, three strands, and you weave them together. Each one, you're holding on to all the strands all the time, but each one takes its turn to be folded into the middle. And you fold one into the middle, and then you fold another one, and then you fold another one, and back and forth. Now, the key with braiding is that, number one, you take each strand has its 
time to be the center of your attention, the center of your focus. And number two, you never let go of any of the strands. You weave them together, holding on to all of them. Now, my model is that we have three strands to decision-making. And while I'm going to talk about them one at a time, the truth is that we are holding all three of them all the time. We just focus on one and then we focus on the other ones. The strands weave into a, a strong rope that we can hold on to when we need to make decisions. In my book, I talk about the three strands. I use the model there as well. And they are willingness, attentiveness, and responsiveness. These three themes are useful for individual decisions, also useful for couple decisions or family decisions. Now, the one thing that my model includes that is not often included in uh, directions on how to make decisions is that it presumes that there is a higher power, a God, a spirit that is wiser and more loving, that knows more than we can know about the world and how we can unfold our lives in the world. I believe that we need all the help that we can get, that we need to access, access a wisdom that's greater than our wisdom. And so part of what we are in need of is to be open to God's wisdom, being open to the, to the power that can help us to become more fully whom we've been created to be. You know, the person you feel inside yourself that you could be, but haven't quite gotten to that point yet, that person is the one that, by opening ourselves to a greater power than us, opening ourselves to a God power, we are more likely to be finding our way. And that is the difference between regular decision-making and what I'm calling and what the department here calls spiritual discernment. It's including the fact that God is involved in our decision-making. This opening to a being that's greater and wiser and more loving than we can be makes this spiritual discernment, not just decision-making. I'm going to be talking for a while about this, but if you are wanting to know a little bit more, I suggest that you contact Linda or be in touch with the, um, what is it, the Center for Spirituality and Discernment. I have two assumptions that are underlying this three-part three model. The first assumption the first assumption that I have is that we have to be active co-creators 
with our past. There was a number of years ago when I wasn't sure what I was doing. I was aware that it was time for me to change career paths and I wanted something to happen different. I'm a psychologist and I felt that there was something more or different or different direction I needed to go in. And I kind of wanted the doorbell to ring and somebody to be at the door to tell me what to do. The truth is that I had to be active in it. I had to do what I call spiritual discernment homework. I had to ask questions, I had to explore possibilities, I had to fill out application forms. I couldn't be passive and let somebody knock on the door. That wasn't going to happen. There is a way in which what I'm talking about says, you know, we, we need to be open to God's movement in our lives. But that doesn't mean being passive. That means that we're open and active at the same time. We need to get out there and try things. Now, that's my first assumption. My second assumption isn't necessarily going to be one that you want to hear, but it's true nonetheless, and that is that there is more than one right way for most of the decisions in our lives. There is more than one right way even if we can only choose one path. Whichever we choose, God or the Spirit is with us as we continue to live it out. Because, you know, once you make a decision, that's just the beginning of a whole new set of decisions of how to live it out. You decide to go to graduate school. You decide to do a year of volunteer work somewhere. Then the question is, how am I going to live that year? What, what friends am I going to make? How, where am I going to live? What courses am I going to take? How am I going to fill my time? There's a whole new set of decisions there. Um, <clears throat> I have a, a nephew, Keith, who is a new architect. And he very carefully looked at what jobs he should take, moved his family to Baltimore to take a job there with a firm that seemed to be right for him. Unfortunately, he's discovering that the ethos of the firm doesn't suit who he is. He's very much interested in green architecture, and, and they are not even though it seemed in his interview that they were. So what he is doing is he is there. He can't pick up and leave immediately. And so he's trying to say, I will learn what I can from this situation while I'm here. He may feel as though he made a little bit of a mistake, but it is weaving into part of his life journey, and he's learning something from them. So, he could have chosen another way that was right for him. What he is choosing to do is to find what is, what is good and right about where he is, recognizing that this isn't going to be the, a place where he stays for his whole career.
I want to talk now about the three braided strands. The first one, willingness. What do I mean by willingness? Well, it means being open to the nudges that you might feel. Um, I think there's a sense of being open, saying, yes, I'm going to just kind of try to respond, try to pay attention, try to be open to what comes my way. Sometimes I think um, their nudges are from God. Sometimes I think it is a, a synchronicity that, that for me is a spiritual synchronicity of factors coming together. I think that the, there is a way that one can be open to to honoring who we truly are within us. And when we're open to that, we are more likely to notice the things that will lead us to paths where we need to go. But we do need to be open. We, do, we need to be um, perhaps not afraid as much as, it, as much as we could be. You know, there's a sense that that um, it's natural to be afraid when we're facing some really big decisions. I think the hard part is that if we let ourselves be too afraid, be too ruled by fear, that kind of shuts down our noticing, our attentiveness. It shuts down our ability to just make good decisions when we are filled with fear. There was a time when I was really afraid of writing. And I, was, I wanted to, and I knew that I wanted to do some writing and get published, but I was really afraid to do it. And it kept me from trying it. It kept me from taking any adventurous steps. It kept me from exploring possibilities. I was not open. And I was not res responding to any spiritual nudges I might feel. Then I had a friend who was, he was listening to me go over and over how much I wanted to write and how afraid I was of it, said to me, Nancy, would you please get out there and fail? And what he was really saying is you are letting fear rule your life. You are afraid, and that fear is shutting down any possibilities of you even noticing God's movement in your life, God's invitation. And it wasn't until I got over being quite so much afraid that I was able to start doing some writing. Now, sometimes I think an attitude of willingness is saying yes. Here I am. I'm open to what's going to come. I'm not going to let fear rule me. And sometimes people let fear rule them by jumping into a decision too quickly. You know, there is something very uncomfortable about being at that point of making a decision and not being able to know what it's going to be. So often people will want to just close their eyes and jump. Okay, well, I'll grab this one. 
You know, I'm going to, there's sticks here and I'm just going to grab this stick and that's going to be my stick and I'm going to stay there. We need to be able to live with the uncertainty of not knowing, of not having it all figured out. And I think that there is a way of being willing to live with the uncertainty that's an important part of making wise decisions. Now, when I'm doing, working on a project, whether it is writing a paper or whether it's preparing to speak somewhere or anything, I have to go through something that I call the chaos stage. It's when I don't know exactly how things are forming yet. They haven't formed quite yet. And I have to be willing to let myself be in that uncomfortable stage before I can move on. I think it's important to, to believe as part of willingness that we are not alone in our decisions. Um, there's a wonderful book called Alter in the World by a, a woman named Barbara Brown Taylor. And she talks about when she was finishing up her schooling, I think she was a senior, and all her friends knew what they were going to do afterwards. Some of them had jobs, some of them had been in grad school, all kinds of things. And she didn't. And she was a person who prayed, and so every night, this is the way she tells the story in the book, she would climb the fire escape, this was some years ago, outside her building to the top level. And as she tells it, she's also afraid of heights. So I had the feeling that she thought that by going to a place she was scared of and praying there, perhaps God would answer her. So her prayer was, God, show me what I'm supposed to do. Show me what I'm supposed to do. God, show me what I'm supposed to do every night. And one night she got an answer. And this is what she heard. She heard, Barbara, do whatever you want to do. Just take me along. Do whatever you want to do. Just take me along. Part of our willingness, I think, is knowing that we can take God along with us wherever we are. We can say yes. Now, the second part I want to name is the attentiveness. And, you know, this is the heart of the business. This is really what spiritual discernment is about. In fact, spiritual discernment is more about paying attention, <coughs> noticing those, those things around you than, than it is probably, a, as far as we think of spiritual discernment, it is noticing yourself and what's happening within you. But it is also paying attention to everything that can help you make a decision. What do you need to know? to help you decide wisely. Well, the first thing you need to know is what questions are you asking? What are the questions? Pin them down, name them. 
What questions do you need answers to? What shall I do after I graduate? What do I need to earn? How much do I have to pay back to whoever? Will my boyfriend or girlfriend come with me to teach in China for a year? I don't know if any of you have that kind of question, but I know someone who did. What programs are there that I should apply for? What am I afraid of? It's important to, to name the questions because otherwise we're likely to float all over the place inside our minds. They're just going to go everywhere. The second thing is to pay attention to the homework. Spiritual discernment homework is paying attention to your own unique self and to your circumstances of your life. Your unique self. What do you know about yourself? Do you work best alone or with other people? My younger daughter, Alisa, when she got out of college, she decided to take a year of volunteer work. And she was sent out to Seattle to do this work. And they invited her to set up a program for high school students, bringing together high school students of various um, ethnic and socioeconomic groups and trying to form bonds between them. And that was fine. She was a um, pretty extroverted, <coughs> outgoing kind of person. And so she started to work on it. And the way they gave her a chance to work on it was said, here's your little office, here's your phone, here's your computer, here's a list of people and contacts, now go to it. You know what she learned from that year? She learned that she needs to work with other people. She's an extroverted person, she's a collaborative creator, and that was a very hard thing to do, to create a program out of where none existed before, all by herself. It's important for you to know things about yourself, and I'm really glad that she got to discover that uh, before she um, got to be 45 or 50 or something like that. What are you good at? What gifts, skills, etc.? That sort of thing is important. But you may not consider what kinds of activities give you the most joy. And what kinds of activities are just plain awful for you? Because those things are important for you to discover, too, as you're finding your way. What kind of situation would be most awful? <clears throat> My nephew, Troy, was going to Juniata College. And Juniata has an engineering program in which you spend two years at Juniata and then two or three years at another university. And then you graduate with a joint degree. And so most of the people, I don't know if you know where Juniata is in central Pennsylvania, but most of the people at his college and his program were going to Penn State University, which was just down the road. He discovered that if he wanted to, he could go to Columbia in New York City, which is quite a different atmosphere than Penn State. And he said, 
hmm, what am I feeling like this is the time for in my life? And then he asked himself another interesting question. He said, if I look at myself 10 years down the road, what will I wish I had done? He decided that this was the time of his life to go and explore a different area of, his, of the world, New York City being a rather different area, and as he went and lived there, lived in the city, he eventually graduated from Columbia, uh, met his wife, and now is settled in the city. This was a good decision for him, but you know, he also knows that if he went to Penn State for his degree, his life would obviously have been very different. He would be married to someone different. They would have different children. Um, he'd be working in a different place, but it could also be a good life for him. He paid attention, however, to his unique self at that point, and he decided that what he really needed was the adventure of a different environment. He wanted to experience city, which he had never experienced before. I think it's important for you to ask yourself not just what is, what brings you the most joy, what would be the most awful to you, what would be an adventure, but also to ask yourself, what do you get really passionate about? What do you really care about? There's a familiar uh, saying, and I can't remember the author of it at the moment, that your calling is where your deep joy and the world's deep hunger meet. In other words, you're doing something that brings you joy and that you care about a lot, and you're also, it's also something that's needed in the world. I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Your decision needs to be congruent with what you care a lot about. Uh, both of my daughters took a year to do volunteer work after they finished college and before they went on to whatever was going to come after, but for both of them it really shaped their lives. The one who went to Seattle to do volunteer work is still in Seattle, and she now directs the, the volunteer program and she went to Seattle to be a volunteer with. My other daughter was sent out to southern Colorado. She did volunteer work as a kind of a legal aid among uh, immigrants who were trying to get their papers straight, and that made her decide she wanted to be an immigration attorney. It shaped their lives, for sure, but the shaping rose out of what they really cared about and that was that they cared about the fact that they had been given a lot and they wanted to pay back some. And the year between college and whatever came afterwards was a good space for that to be, good space for that to happen. I think another question for you to ask yourself was, what is your life circumstances? You know, your life circumstances, one of the hard things about that is that we each have to look about it. It involves other people, but it also involves ourselves. Um, one of my nieces, Amaris, has always wanted to, uh, she's an adventurous person, 
And she went to medical school and she just finishing up and she's wanted to go to work with Doctors Without Borders. You've heard of that. Uh, they go to rather exciting places in the world. And Amaris discovered that she has a pretty serious congenital heart condition. Now, she found that out when she had an event with her heart and wound up in the hospital. Now, she can be pretty healthy, but she should probably not go and live to some place where there is not good um, contact with a, with a, a skilled heart, or a skilled um, hospital, skilled medical care. I think that a question for her now is, how can I have my adventures and still make use of my profession? Sometimes your finances, not just your health, but your finances are things that make a big difference in choosing your life's path, and that's real too. Just like Emerson's heart condition is a real fact of her life, your finances are too. I have a niece-to-be, Holly, who, when she was in high school, um, left her family in an abusive situation and went to live with friends, bunked in with friends for a couple of well, for about six months until she graduated from high school and then got a job. She's gradually working herself through college. She expects to graduate in another year. She said to me, I learned from my family not what to do, but what not to do. What I didn't want. Her finances have been a real, clear decision-making factor, mostly because she hasn't had any backing whatsoever. She told me that her, this on? Okay. She told me that her, her mother bought her one college textbook, and that was her sole contribution to her college expenses. We have family, we have relationships, we have finances, we have health. Those are all what is real. One of my favorite writers, Richard Rohr, said, you know, God deals with what is real. Our, our ways can open, and they take into consideration what is real in our lives, and that's certainly some of it. What can you work? How can you work with the real circumstances of your life? So they won't completely limit what's most important to you. How can you finance grad school? How can you and your partner explore the next stage of your relationship? Whether within glowing, growing closeness or physical separation. We can get scared and overwhelmed. We can also say, here I am, this is real. I'm going to keep on working on this. 
The third part that I want to talk about is responsiveness. Responding is when we take steps. Now, there's a, there's a story about a woman who was in a very dark time. And she had the sense that all around her was a fog. I don't suppose anybody here has ever experienced anything like that, right? I've experienced that kind of time. A time when I just couldn't figure out what my next step was going to be. And I think the hardest part about that is that I felt as though I didn't know whether to take steps forward or backwards or sideways. Someone told me that if you're feeling that kind of time, it's a time to take off your shoes. Because as the story from the Bible goes, that's what you do when you stand on holy ground. And it is holy ground to be confused. It's the time when things can really break open for you. When I was standing in a lot of darkness, someone said to me, You know, Nancy, you have darkness all around you, but you are holding a lantern in your hand. Now, this lantern is very small, and it just sheds a little bit of light down like this, just a little bit, but it does show where your feet are, and it does make a little circle of light around you so that you can take one small step. You can see enough for that. And you know, when you take the small step, the lantern goes along with you. And when the lantern goes along with you, you can see a little more. What can you see? What do you have enough clarity about to take one step? It might simply be doing a little bit of information gathering. It might simply be making a phone call. It might be initiating a conversation. It might be facing a fear. You can take one small step. Sometimes it's a big step. Certainly signing up for a graduate school program can be a big step. That's why I never did it. I just signed up one course at a time. And then after I was about half through, I decided to sign up to get the degree. That doesn't always work, but it did work for me. I'm not, not necessarily advising it. Caroline Fox, who was a 16th century writer, said this in her own language, live up to the light thou hast and more will be given thee. Live up to the light thou hast, and more will be given thee. So what have you learned, and what can you do with that much clarity to take one step? Now, having said this about taking steps, I also want to say that sometimes waiting is what has to happen. 
And part of our responding can be simply waiting in that place of not knowing. I have a niece, another one, um, who has an organic farm in the city. It's a, um, a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. And she wants to move out of the city and she wants to go to the country. Only they can't find a place to buy in the country. And she is trying to decide what can she do while she is waiting for the right place to turn up. What she's doing, actually, is waiting while something is already happening. What she is doing is learning more about organic farming. During this time of waiting for the right property, she can learn more about what she's hoping to get to eventually. So what we're doing is talking about, do you just sit and twiddle your thumbs and wait for the answer to rise? Or do you say, what's going on while I'm waiting? What is happening while I'm waiting? Are there any pieces I can explore on my way to discovering the answer? Mostly decision-making is a step forward and then wait a little bit, and then step forward and wait a little bit again. It is necessary to try to make the wisest and best decision possible, to be open to God, to ask questions, to do the lists, to imagine 10 years ahead. But I hate to tell you that you will be confronted by factors that um, you can't anticipate in advance. And they'll greatly influence how you look back at your decision. The economy may tank just when you've taken a job. That has happened to a lot of people. But you start there, where you are, with what is real for you then, and you do an evaluation about it. These factors will remain true, though. There is a spirit that can help to guide you. You can pay attention and take steps. And there will be a way of taking those steps that will help you make right, wise decisions. How many of you know what trail angels are? Have you ever heard them? Anybody here hike the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail? The Pacific Crest Trail and the Appalachian Trail have people who live near the trails that are trail angels. That's what they're officially called. And what they do is they go up to the trail, to the huts, where the through hikers are staying, and they bring them energy bars, big grocery bags full of energy bars. They bring them water, lots of jars of water. And these are trail angels. They will ask them, would you like to come to my house and take a shower? You want me to drive you to the nearest town so you can check and see if there's any mail for you? I have a friend who did this from France, and he said that the most wonderful part of hiking the Pacific Crest Trail from Mexico up to Canada was the fact that he met so many wonderful people along the way.
who did this for him. There will be trail angels on your path. So finally, I just want to say that may you be aware of the spirit which guides you. May you be attentive to all the different parts of your life the questions that you need answering, the factors of your unique life journey, the circumstances around you, and take steps one at a time. Take steps even while you are in a stage of waiting, perhaps while you're in a stage of chaos and confusion. May trail angels show up in your life just when you need them, because they are around. And may you weave together through your willingness, your attentiveness, your responsiveness, a strong pattern of making decisions. Um, the one thing that I think is important is that when you have a model for how to make decisions, you can apply it again and again. May you find your, your decision-making as a sacred process, blessings on your way. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu.